This podcast is a presentation of Sunset Presbyterian Church. For more information, log on to our website at www.sunsetpres.org. Well, good morning. Great to see you in worship. Great to be in worship. We are uh, in a sermon series called... Yes, Sticky Faith. Uh, We're asking the question, how do we build faith that lasts? What do we do that builds faith that's vibrant and sticks in our lives? And it's inspired by a book called Sticky Faith. And in the book, it gives five basically big ideas for building sticky faith. And we've taken a look at some of them. One is by building a sticky gospel. Another is by intentionally developing sticky faith conversations. Um, We looked at building a sticky identity as God's beloved child, Um, and today we're going to look at the idea of developing sticky justice. So I want to begin my reflection by showing you an incredible six-minute video that's produced by our very own The Bible Project. Devour your mate. And if you're a honey badger, you have no regard for other animals. You don't care. If you're a panda with twins, it's normal to abandon one to take care of the other. But if humans do any of these things, we would call it wrong, unfair, or unjust. Yeah, why is that? Why do humans care so much about justice? Well, the Bible has a fascinating response to that question. On page one, humans are set apart from all other creatures as the image of God. Yeah, God's representatives who rule the world by his definition of good and evil. And this identity, it's the bedrock of the Bible's view of justice. All humans are equal before God and have the right to be treated with dignity and fairness no matter who you are. And that would be nice if we all did that. But we know how the world really works. And the Bible addresses that too. It shows how we are constantly redefining good and evil to our own advantage at the expense of others. Yeah, self-preservation. And the weaker someone is, the easier it is to take advantage of them. And so in the biblical story, we see this happening on a personal level, but also in families and then in communities and in whole civilizations that create injustice, especially towards the vulnerable. But the story doesn't end there. Out of this whole mess, God chose a man named Abraham to start a new kind of family. Specifically, Abraham was to teach his family to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice. Yeah, doing righteousness, that's a Bible word I don't really use. But what comes to mind is being a good person. But what does that even mean, being good? The biblical Hebrew word for righteousness is tzedakah, and it's more specific. It's an ethical standard that refers to right relationships between people. It's about treating others as the image of God. With the God-given dignity they deserve. And this word justice, it's the Hebrew word mishpat. It can refer to retributive justice. Like if I steal something, I'd pay the consequences. Exactly. Yet most often in the Bible, mishpat refers to restorative justice. It means going a step further, actually seeking out vulnerable people who are being taken advantage of and helping them. Yeah, some people call this charity. But mishpat involves way more. It means taking steps to advocate for the vulnerable and changing social structures to prevent injustice. So justice and righteousness are about a radical, selfless way of life. Yeah, and you find this idea all over the Bible. Like... Here, in the book of Proverbs, what does it mean to bring about just righteousness? Open your mouth for those who can't speak for themselves. And what do these words mean for the prophets, like Jeremiah? 
rescue the disadvantaged, and don't tolerate oppression or violence against the immigrant, the orphan, and the widow. And like here, look in the book of Psalms. The Lord God upholds justice for the oppressed, gives food to the hungry, and sets the prisoner free. But he thwarts the way of the wicked. Whoa, he thwarts the wicked? Yeah, in Hebrew, the word wicked is rasha. It means guilty or in the wrong. It refers to someone who mistreats another human, ignoring their dignity as an image of God. So justice and righteousness is a big deal to God. Yes, it's what Abraham's family, the Israelites, were to be all about. They ended up as immigrant slaves, being oppressed unjustly in Egypt. And so God confronted Egypt's evil, declaring them to be rasha, guilty of injustice. And so he rescued Israel. But the tragic irony of the Old Testament story is that these redeemed people went on to commit the same acts of injustice against the vulnerable. And so God sent prophets who declared Israel guilty. But they weren't the only ones. There's injustice everywhere. Yeah, some people actively perpetrate injustice. Others receive benefits or privileges from unjust social structures they take for granted. And sadly, history has shown that when the oppressed gain power, they often become oppressors themselves. So we all participate in injustice, actively or passively, even unintentionally. We're all the guilty ones. And so this is the surprising message of the biblical story. God's response to humanity's legacy of injustice is to give us a gift, the life of Jesus. He did righteousness and justice, and yet he died on behalf of the guilty. But then God declared Jesus to be the righteous one when he rose from the dead. And so now Jesus offers his life to the guilty so that they too can be declared righteous before God, not because of anything they've done, but because of what Jesus did for them. The earliest followers of Jesus experienced this righteousness from God, not just as a new status, but as a power that changed their lives and compelled them to act in surprising new ways. Yeah, if God declared someone righteous when they didn't deserve it, the only reasonable response is to go and seek righteousness and justice for others. This is a radical way of life, and it's not always convenient or easy. It's courageously making other people's problems my problems. This is what Jesus meant by loving your neighbor as yourself. It's about a lifetime commitment fueled by the words of the ancient prophet Micah. God has told you, humans, what is good and what the Lord requires of you is to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Isn't that an incredible video on the theme of justice? Yeah. What's amazing is that the Bible Project, they're right here in Portland. I mean, that's, that, that's made right here in our town. So I just love those videos. Um, so what the book talks about is a, a great way to develop sticky faith in our lives is by developing sticky justice, by getting involved in service and in uh, justice work. So let's pray as we come to a scripture and learn from him today. Heavenly Father, thank you for gathering us together. Thank you for being here, and we pray that you would fill us up in a special way with your your spirit, your presence, um, that we could hear your words for us through the prophet Isaiah, that we would be inspired by the blessings and the promises that you shower upon those who 
who work for justice. So bless this time in Jesus' name. All God's people said. So as we focus today on this idea of developing sticky justice, I want to read and reflect on Isaiah 58. This is one of my favorite passages because it describes God's heart for justice. And the background for Isaiah 58 is fasting on the Day of Atonement which we read about in Leviticus 16. And I want to read you a few verses that talk about this because this is the context for our scripture. It says, And it shall be a statute for you forever that atonement may be made for all the people of Israel once a year because of their sins. Now, atonement means at one meant. So sin is what separates us in our relationship with God, relationship with one another. And what is it that brings us back at, to, to, what does this bring us together or at one minute? So that's atonement for the sins that separate us. And then what, is, what does God say through Isaiah? You shall fast and shall do no work. For on this day, this one day, shall atonement be made for you to cleanse you, and you shall be clean before the Lord from all of your sins. So once a year on the day of atonement, um, the sacrifice was made, uh, and, and we were all to fast on this one day. Now fasting is essentially giving up something, like food, uh, for a period of time in order to focus our thoughts on God. And in the Old Testament, it's also a sign of, of humbling ourselves. So we're humbling ourselves before God, often confessing our sins uh, before him uh, humbly. And so that's the backdrop for this passage of Isaiah, is, is fasting on the Day of Atonement once a year. Now Isaiah is a prophet. I love the prophets. Prophets are law enforcers. They're kind of like police. We all love police, right? They enforce the law. So if you're going 30 miles per hour, it's a 30 mile per hour, that's the law, we've all agreed to that, and you're going 50 miles per hour, what's the police officer going to do? Yeah, give you, enforce the law, right? Enforce the law. In many ways, Old Testament prophets worked kind of like that. Basically, God says, I'm, with Israel, I'm going to be your God, you're going to be my people, and we're going to have a covenant. We're going to have laws. These are, these are things that we agree to do. And that's the, that's the Torah, the law. And so um, the prophets are going to come along and basically tell the society when they're not obeying the law, God's law, and they're going to enforce the law. So a prophet in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word means seer. So a prophet is going to look over society and see where they are sinning, where they are doing wrong. And then the prophet then is going to be compelled by God to speak God's truth to that wrong in society. And then the prophet's going to very provocatively sometimes, but very vividly, they're going to paint two pictures. If you do God's will and obey the law, then there's going to be blessing. But if not, there's going to be some form of punishment. So Isaiah here is using fasting on the day of atonement to help us see God's heart for justice. So Isaiah 58, it's all about a true fast or true fasting. What does true fasting look like versus what is false fasting? In other words, what does God's kind of fast look like? What is God's will for our lives? 
Fasting is simply an illustration to talk about God's heart for justice. So I'm going to ask three questions as we read through Isaiah 53 together. The first question is, what, what, is, what true fasting is not? What it is not? The second question is, what is true fasting? And then the third question is, then what are the results of doing a true fast? Which are, inc- you're going to be blown away, the blessings that result from a true fast. So, question number one, what true fasting is not? Isaiah 58, verse 1. God says to Isaiah, shout it aloud. Don't hold back. Raise your voice, Isaiah, like a trumpet. Make everybody hear your voice. Declare to my people who have agreed to our uh, covenant, make my people uh, uh, declare to my people their rebellion from the covenant and to the house of Jacob their sins. Remember, a prophet's job is to see the sin and to speak out about it. Now, the question is, what is their sin? And we start to read about that in verse 2. For day after day, God says, his people, they seek me out. They, what's the word? Seem eager to know my ways as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions and they seem eager for God to come near them. And they they say, well, why have we fasted, Lord? They say, why have we fasted? And you have not seen our fast. And why have we humbled ourselves? That's what fasting is. They humbled themselves before the Lord. Why have we humbled ourselves? And you have not even seemed to notice. And then God says, yet on the day of your fasting, and he, here's, he's, he's going to point out the sin right here, the wrongdoing. He says, well, on the day of your fasting, what is it? You do as you please and you exploit your workers. In other words, they're sitting down in sackcloth and ashes and uh, humbling themselves while their workers are busy back there doing all their work for them. And your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. So they were exploiting their workers and they were they're fighting with each other. God says you cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard when you're doing these things. Is this the kind of fast I've chosen? Only one, only a day for a man to humble himself? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying on sackcloth and ashes, which is what they did on the Day of Atonement? Is that, is that what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? So that's what a true fast is not. Now, second question, what is then a true fast? Verse 6, is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen, says the Lord? to loosen the chains of injustice, to untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free, and to break every yoke. So oppression by a yoke means being in a state of of being kept down or subjugated by an unjust force or an authority. So justice is about setting oppressed people free. And that that can take all kinds, there, there are all kinds of oppression. You could be oppressed by uh, the force of, of drug addiction or al- alcohol can be a force that subjugates you. So the sense of oppression and being set free can look, uh, look m- in many different ways. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and provide the, ho- 
poor homeless with shelter, when you see the naked to clothe him, and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood when your family's in need. That's the true fast. Now, hold on to your seats, because we're going to now look at the results of what happens when you truly fast like this. What does God promise you when you do his will? So in Isaiah 58, verses 8 through 12, God, you're going to see God's going to say this. If you do these things, then I will. If you do, then I will. Promise. Promise after promise. Verse 9, he says, If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger, which I, I want to do a sermon called the pointing finger, because we all do this. We all, it's just like breathing for us. You know, when something goes wrong, it's their fault. It's somebody else's fault. You know, that's the age old thing when, you know, when Adam, you know, Adam says, well, it's Eve's fault. You know, that's just, that's just the way it goes. It's blame shifting and condemning or speaking evil, malicious talk. And if you spend, so do away with those, if you do away with the pointing finger, do away with the malicious talk. And if you spend yourself on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, if you, if you do these things, if you stop pointing the finger, if you serve the needs of the poor, I will. And what we're going to see is 17 promises. So you can grab a sticky note on the back of your pew, and well, our pew, they're not pews, seats. And what I want you to do is listen for the Holy Spirit as I, as I just read God's word to you. And I want you to notice, I'm going to ask you to say the word will every time. You can count them, 17 promises. And just listen, maybe the Holy Spirit is wanting you to pray through a promise this week. And so just jot down the one that you feel God is calling you to. And let's listen for him. This is incredible. So if you do these things, God says, then your light break forth like the dawn. The light helps you see if you need light or if you want life in your life. And your healing quickly appear. Not only that, then your righteousness go before you. And the glory of the Lord, God's will be your guard. God's going to protect you with his presence. He's going to be your guardian. Then you will call and the Lord, when you hear this, he will answer your prayers. He hears your prayers. You will call, you will cry out and he say, behold, here I am. He's going to give you his presence in your time of need. It's a promise. Then your light Rise in the darkness and your night become like the noonday. The Lord will. He's going to do it. He's going to guide you. Anyone needing guidance right now, needing the Lord's help, and he satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land, bring satisfaction, and he strengthen your frame. Anyone needs strength today? You will, you... <laughs> will be like a well-watered garden. He will, he will flourish you with happiness so that you produce fruit in your life. And you be like a spring whose waters never fail. It keeps going. Your people rebuild ancient ruins. You'll be a rebuilder. And you raise up the age-old foundations. And you be called, you'll be called repairers, repairers of broken walls, and you 
You'll be called restorers, restorers of streets, restorers of dwellings. This is the word of the Lord. My prayer is that you and I would experience all 17 promises of God from Isaiah 58. All of them. And maybe God is tugging at your heart today. Maybe there's something that he's speaking to you even right now. A promise that you need to hold on to with whatever circumstance you're going through. You know, in the book Sticky Faith, the chapter on sticky justice describes how justice is a major, major biblical theme, a biblical value. And so one big idea for developing faith in our lives that is vibrant and life-giving and sticks with us throughout our lives, one big idea for developing sticky faith is by getting involved in service and justice work. And this is especially helpful for kids. Kids want to be involved in service and justice work. It is that young people have a passion for justice work. And uh, there are many things that I love. That's how you say it in the Philippines. Love that I love about you, about Sunset Church. And one of the things that I love about this church is that you love to serve and you love to do works of justice. You know, I wasn't here in 2016, but apparently you had a a church-wide survey, and the results of that survey found that the heart of this congregation, the heartbeat, the value that you have is to intentionally provide direct services for the marginalized. That is who you are. You want to demonstrate the love of Jesus Christ. And Sunset Church is filled with many, many examples of people who are involved doing God's justice work. So, for example, God says, share your food with the hungry and clothe the naked. Well, a number of you from this church family are involved in our Helping Hands ministry. And if, by the way, if you are involved or have ever been involved serving with the Helping Hands ministry, would you please stand? And we just want to see you and say thank you for your ministry. Thank you so much. Bless you. May the blessings of Isaiah 58 be with you. You know, we share our food through the food pantry, and I know we all support that financially, and we all also contribute to that. We provide clothing with our uh, clothing closet as well. You know, God says provide the poor homeless with a home, and Sunset Church is partnering with Family Promise of Beaverton. And we host four families up to four to six times a year, and that hosting week requires... 60 volunteers to do this. So if you have ever volunteered for Family Promise, would you please stand? And we just want to say thank you and bless you. And may the, yes, and that requires food in the morning and breakfast and lunch and dinners and washing clothes and hosting. And may the blessings of Isaiah 58 be with you. Sunset Church also uh, partners with Habitat for Humanity. I see you, Buzz, is sitting there right there. Can you stand up, Buzz Strott? He's, uh, can we thank him for his work with Habitat for Humanity? And so, through, you're all, you don't even know this, but you all are part of it. We, in our giving, we support uh, that mission. And once a year, there's a Habitat home built. 
And that's coming up in two weeks, June 1st, where we all get an opportunity to come and build a home, to be a part of this and experience the blessings of Isaiah 58. God says, loosen the chains of injustice. Loosen the chains of wrongdoing. Break every yoke. Set the oppressed free. Set those who are smashed down. Set those who are mistreated. Set those who are abused. Uh, Set them free. And so Sunset partners with missionaries. We send out mission teams. And so today I'm I'm so excited that you're here and I'm here uh, because we're going to commission our missions teams today and hear from a mission partner in Alaska. So I would like to call up um, one of the, the b- great blessings of, of this church, Janet Fraser. Would you please thank her for, for being here? And, yeah, she's going to share. She's going to share about Alaska mission teams and uh, interview one of our mission partners. Good morning, church. So I want to tell you a little story about my boots. Um, when I uh, went to Alaska in October with Pastor Mike and Dan, I was not about it because I love Mexico and Central America. <laughs> and in the middle of a, se- of a stream, wearing Audrey Risto's brown Alaska boots with salmon, all you fishermen, uh, jumping over them, God said, I'm here, why aren't you? To me, basically. That's a paraphrase. <laughs> um, and so I wear these boots um, as a reminder of a work, a word from God and a work he's been doing in my heart. And so, and I wore them in Alaska to church, so I thought I could wear them at home to church. So um, when uh, we had to stop going to Mexico, uh, we began to pray and think about a place where you all would go, where you could grow and where we could do meaningful ministry. And I'm super excited. Is Steve Risto in here? Um, and I'm excited today to be commissioning our, our teams that are going to go to Alaska. There's more than 50 of us. When you, when you have a new idea, you kind of look for confirmations, right, in the business world. Is this really what we're supposed to be doing? So one of those confirmations is, is that 50 people from our congregation are going to Alaska this summer. Crazy. Isn't that awesome? And another one of those confirmation is God's provision. I say it all the time, God's plans, God's purposes, God's provision. So we do not have to earn any money for the projects this summer, $25,000, because you've already been faithfully giving to missions, and that's covered. So thank you. If you give to missions, that's what we're doing with the money, part of it. We spend it on Family Promise, which is hosting this week, um, and in Uganda, and now in Alaska. Our team members raise just for their flights and food and that kind of stuff. Um, but, but the project money has already been provided. So thank you. And then the, the next um, kind of proof of God's provision in my life has been this friend, who is an old friend to Sunset, actually. This is Steve Risto, if you don't know him. And Steve uh, started coming to Sunset for Roaring Twenties, which means he was 20. And... Um, he uh, also was a missionary that we supported for 10 years as a part of Sunset. He was sent out and part of this body, and um, he ran a respite for our treasures ministry. You guys are in the 11. We always have the treasures over here at the start of the service. And he and his wife, Audrey, started a ministry to the treasures and to their families. And so you, if you've been at Sunset a long time, you've already supported Steve and Audrey through, through ministry. But about five years ago, four years ago, they got called to Alaska, 
And when Mike and Dan and I went to Alaska, we thought, well, we should go encourage our old friend. So let's fly out there and let's meet him. And um, standing in the stream, having conversations with him and um, his family, I just felt a real sense of affirmation that this was actually where God was leading Sunset. And we don't have it all sorted out, but um, we feel really strong about the direction of the Lord's leading. So Steve's going to just share a few things with you today. Why don't you start by helping us understand why we need to go? It is um, such an encouragement to uh, um, when Dan and Mike and Janet came out to know that there were people who God was placing on their hearts the same Alaska vision that we had. And uh, I think it was bonding over the banya that we, we finally, <laughs> but uh, um, a steam house. But we, uh, um, we uh, have been there for five or four years. And uh, one of the things that is obviously clear is that there is a, a spiritual battle that is going on in Alaska in, in an epic proportion. I mean, there's spiritual warfare that's going on all across the world. You just turn on the TV and you can see it. But, but it's almost like um, Satan has taken a magnifying glass and has just focused on the state of Alaska, and especially in the villages. And, uh, um, and one of the things that um, we have just been so impressed on is the bondage that the state of Alaska feels. We were in this village that was cut off from the rest of the world, and we had um, child rapists. We had um, a, a drug problem. We had almost everyone was was uh, um, sexually abused at one time or another. Uh, marijuana, meth, all of the things in this tiny little village in Alaska. And and to be honest with you, the the saddest part for me is that Alaska. There is not a place in Alaska that has not been given the gospel message. They all know the gospel message, and and they they know it better than I do. It's amazing how many verses they. They can rattle off and they can talk to Christian talk, but there are uh, uh, just a very, very few that know Jesus Christ. And, and it's so evident in, in the, the lives that they lead. And, and to be honest, I, I've been talking a lot about Alaska, and, and I, I'd love to give a message of hope in Alaska. But humanly speaking, there is no hope in these villages in Alaska. So I um, convinced 50 people to go to Alaska with me. I need some hope. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so yeah. So help me with that. Exactly, exactly. And I was still in last service that I watched the Avengers movie, and I know it's not the Avengers. That is not our hope in Alaska, right? But but there is one hope, and, and, and we know what it is. It, it, it is Jesus Christ, and it's not knowing about Jesus Christ. It is, it is having a transformational relationship with Jesus Christ. That, that is the only hope that can, that can overcome what is going on in Alaska. And, and it's uh, um, one of the, the verses that I love the most, that God has really laid on my heart, is this, this verse in 1 John 4.12 where it says that, that no one has seen God. But if we love each other, God lives in us and his love comes to full completion. And I, I believe that, that Alaska, if, if we are willing to empty ourselves, the broken vessels that we are, if we're willing to empty ourselves and allow God to, to love through us to these people, that is how they are going to see um, um, God in, in the relationship with Jesus Christ in Alaska. And so we have 50 people over here, Janet. Yeah, why don't you guys come up? 
Yeah, come on over. We we have 50 people, and and this is such an encouragement for us because it's such a lonely ministry in Alaska. And uh, for God to lay on the hearts of servants like these guys, and I'm just getting to know a lot of them, but they truly have a calling to go share the gospel message of Jesus Christ in Alaska. And the way they're going about doing that this summer is they are not necessarily going out into the villages, but they are focusing on ways that they can support the missionaries that are doing the the mission work out in the villages. And the first thing that they're doing is they're building building a deck and doing um, some remodeling for a respite home uh, where missionaries could come free of charge and be refreshed and restored in this this house that that specifically is made for missionaries. And for our family, it was a lifesaver to be pulled out of the village and have a little bit of normal in our life. So that's one of the projects that you're doing. The second project is where they're going into the Alaska Christian College where where they're recruiting people from the villages, natives from the villages, to come out of that 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 um uh that environment of, of sin to come out of that and to learn about Jesus Christ and hopefully have a transformational relationship with Jesus Christ so that they can take that back to the different villages and share that message with people. So, so they're, they're building projects that are supporting the missionaries that are working together. And I, I just want to mention real quick, I did in the last service, but um, this is not me doing this. This is not the 50 people doing this alone. This is, this is all the churches that are that are involved in Alaska, and, and it really is a battlefield up there. And when you guys are praying and supporting and encouraging these guys, it is sending arrows that that are are hitting their target in the enemy's land up in Alaska, and it is paving a way and a protective area for these guys to come into minister in Alaska. So I would encourage you, and I encourage them to grab people who will be praying for them on a regular basis because they will go through spiritual attack and they need this as a team and as a body of Christ to come up in Alaska. So what we're going to do right now is we're actually going to send them, go ahead and head on out, you guys. We're going to send them out to be with you so that you can pray for them. And um, so what I'm going to ask you to do is move towards someone once they get out there and um, ask them what they need prayer for and then pray for them. Um, one or two of you to pray, Pastor Steve will kind of close, but as we go out, once we're in place, I want, if this is your first time ever on a mission trip, would you raise your hand? So a lot of new people going, right? And so put yourself in their boots for a minute and think about if you were new and you were going to go somewhere, maybe you've never been, and you were going to try to serve people that you, um, don't know, you don't know what they need. It's pretty daunting, and so um, I would just ask you, as they're coming out, let's spread all the way under the balconies, gang, um, just to really lift them up in prayer for a couple minutes, and then Pastor Steve's going to close for us. Okay? Thank you. All right. Those, we can extend a hand of blessing to those around who are going, and let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, we commission these teams, and we ask that you would bless the Alaska and the high school mission teams. May their light break forth like the dawn. May your promises come true. May their healing quickly appear. May their righteousness go before you. May the glory of the Lord be their guardian and protection. May, when they call, may you answer their prayers. 
When they cry for help, may you say, here I am. May their light arise in the darkness. May the night become like noonday. May the Lord guide you always. May he satisfy your needs. May he give you strength. May you flourish with happiness. May he refresh you. May you rebuild the ruins. May you rise up the age-old foundations. And may you be called repairers of broken walls and restorers of homes. And may everyone at sunset who is supporting these mission teams in prayer or financially or in any way, may they all experience the many promises of Isaiah 58. So today, we commission all these teams and ask for your blessing in the name of the Father and in the name of the Son and in the name of the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, Sunset Church is a house of prayer for all nations. If you need prayer, I'd like to call up current former elders or prayer ministers forward now. And then at the end of the service, we would love to pray with you and for you. And so now receive the blessing. As we live into God's will for justice, may your light break forth like the dawn. May we rebuild the ruins. May we rise up the foundations. May we be called repairers. May we be called restorers. And may our healing quickly appear. And all God's people said,